it's challenging because you're wearing a spacesuit, uh, and the spacesuit really adds a, a level of complexity that uh, it makes you stupid. <laughs> Welcome to WCSU 411, a podcast about interesting people and events at Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today I'm talking to Air Force Major Matthew Elmore, a WCSU alum and a pilot of the famous U-2 reconnaissance plane. After I talk to Major Elmore, Barbara Viegas and I will talk about events on campus in the next week or two. Matt is a native of Southbury, and he joined the Air Force before going to college. He earned an associate degree from the Community College of the Air Force, then enrolled in Westcon and earned his bachelor's degree in biology with a minor in mathematics. He served as an aircraft and flight commander, a training officer, an aerospace studies professor, and instructor pilot. For the past year, he's been training to fly the U-2, a specialized plane that recently has provided intelligence for the U.S. during operations in Korea, the Balkans, Afghanistan, and Iraq. There are only 32 U-2s flying, which makes pilots like Matt Elmore a rare breed. Major Elmore is visiting Connecticut from his base in California. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. My pleasure. So, Matt, you have a biology degree from Westcon. That doesn't seem like something that would lead you to uh, be a U-2 pilot. Well, uh, not necessarily biology itself, but science. Um, the Air Force values STEM. Uh, I forget what it stands yeah, for. Science, technology, education, and math. Mathematics, right. Mm -hmm. So anything technical, really, and, and science uh, has always held my attention. And biology doesn't necessarily lead to being a U-2 pilot or a pilot in general, but it's, it's the science part of it. It's, the, it's, a, it's a way of thinking mm -hmm. uh, that lends itself to being a pilot. And of course the math helps you too, I imagine. Oh yeah. yeah. You use that a lot, right, when you're flying? Yeah, um, pilot math. Uh, I do like mathematics. I do enjoy mathematics, um, but you really just need to be able to add two numbers together quickly in your head. Mm. And we have lots of tricks and techniques uh, for the stuff we do. Not necessarily like deriving equations or anything while right, you're flying. Right. Do you just learn that as you're starting uh, learning how to fly, or do you um, do they, does the Air Force teach you how to do that? Yeah. So there's, I mean, it's there's lots of tried and true techniques. Uh, the Air Force has been flying planes since 1947 or what, whatever. I think that was when it was. I should know this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but over the course of that that many years, they've come up with different techniques to make it easy for new guys to learn how to fly planes, even if you're not very good at math. There are there's guys all the way from like, you know, nuclear physicists down to basket weaver majors that, that fly planes. So, you know, they, they make the math super easy and there's lots of little techniques and, and, and uh, yeah, techniques that, that help you do it really easy. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, you don't have, it, it's not complicated mathematics. Right. There are other things you have to know besides um, math to uh, be a good pilot though, I imagine, right? Yes. Not all of us basket weavers can become pilots. Well, I, well... No, not Air Force pilots. Uh, anybody could become a pilot. You mm. can go down and take lessons at your local FBO. Um, with enough money and time, anybody could be a pilot. And you started when you were a teenager, right? You were started to fly. <clears throat> I did. My my cousin uh, had his pilot's license, and I think the first time I ever was in a Cessna, um, I was 15, and he took me out to Block Island for lunch. Hmm. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And that hooked you? Yeah. Did he let you fly the plane? A little bit, yeah. 
And so did you take lessons then as a teenager? Were you in Oxford or uh, Danbury? Uh, he rented out of Danbury. Most, most of my civilian flying, mm-hmm. um, when I lived in Connecticut, was out of Danbury. Uh, there's, there's a couple of different FBOs, and they've changed names over the years. But... Yeah. Did you have your pilot's, uh, private pilot's license when you were in high school? No, I didn't get my pilot's license until uh, probably about two years into my enlistment. Um, I decided I wanted to be a pilot. Hmm. Looks like a cool job. Yeah. So you went in the Air Force not knowing for sure that you'd be a pilot? Yeah. So I, I joined the Air Force. I didn't know anything about the military at all. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story, but I didn't know anything about the Air Force, Marines, Navy, Army. Really, the only reason I joined the Air Force uh, was because it was the first door in the building that I went in the recruiting office. Had that been the Navy or the Marines, I, I didn't know anything about any of them. Right. So. And do they... Um... So they hear that you want to uh, sign up for something, and they sign you up, right? Yeah. So I, I've also lucked out, too. So my, my recruiter for, and I've heard lots of bad experiences with um, bad experiences with different recruiters. I had a really good recruiter. Uh, again, I didn't know anything about the military, and I, I took the tests, uh, scored well, uh, and then signed up for, when I was signing up for the job, for my enlisted uh, job, um, they asked me what I wanted to do, and I, I said, I, don't, I have no idea what you offer, so uh, what are my options? And the guy, that, the guy that I was dealing with at that point wasn't my recruiter. It was the processing station, and he's, he sees hundreds of kids you know, a day. He, he doesn't care. He's like, what do you like to do? I'm like, I, like, I told him I like working with animals. I like science-type stuff. He's like, you love pest control. So, pest control? Pest control. So I, I'm like, all right, sign me up. I'll, try, I'll give it a shot. I get back to my recruiter and my recruiter, uh, you know, looked at my test scores and looked at what I signed up for. He's like, how are you this smart and this stupid at the same time? <laughs> so he's like, you're not doing pest control. You're going to do intelligence. So I didn't know anything about intelligence, um, but he signed me up, basically signed me up for imagery intelligence, hmm. which is kind of neat because it, it came full circle. I started my career as an imagery analyst uh, on the enlisted side, analyzing the, the intelligence that comes off the U2 Mm-hmm. And now, you know, 20 years later, I'm flying them. So right. It's pretty neat, I think. It must help, too, right? You... Yeah, it does. It, it actually does without getting into too much of it. But um, it, it does because I was introduced uh, 20 years ago to a lot of the systems and the theory and all that stuff that the U2 is capable of and, and other things as well. Right. Um, it all ties in together. Mm-hmm. So when you're a pilot uh, of a U2 to, and you're up there... Do you um, report back about how not just it's flying, but some of the, the, uh, the sensors and how they're working and things that might be improved in that, too? Do they listen to you or do they just want you up there flying it? Uh, I, yeah, it's a full coordinated effort. Um, you're, not, you're, you're alone in the plane, but you, you're in radio con- most of the time you're in radio contact uh, with the back end guys dealing with all the sensors that are on the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking at it and... If something goes wrong, I can talk to them and they can troubleshoot. I can have a contractor, you know, troubleshooting. Hey, try this. That kind of, it's, it's, it's very coordinated. Mm-hmm. And we were talking before we started the recording that this, the U-2 is the sixth plane that you've flown in the Air, Air Force. And you've been training since November, almost a year, to uh, fly the U-2. Does it really take a year or after six months, were you ready to go? feel like you were ready to go well that's a that's a tough question to answer because it's it's a very dynamic uh path it's a very dynamic career field in, in aviation there's a there's a there's a lot of moving parts i i feel ready to go now 
Um, but I still, there's still a tremendous amount of things I don't know. And I, I'm not going to learn until I'm doing the job. Um, but it, I would say it takes about a year, uh, but that's including the, the first portion of, of the training is, um, we fly T-38s. It's the T-38 Talon. Um, and it's a completely different airframe, uh, than the U-2 or really anything else I've up until this, this year, I've only flown propeller airplanes. So oh, really? yeah. So turboprop. So it's, it's basically a jet engine with a propeller on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never flown a true jet and the T-38 is a true jet. So is, um, so is the U-2. Uh, so there's different aspects that I've, you have to learn. Um, anyway, so the first few months of training for U-2s, you have to get qualified in the T-38 and that's our companion trainer. Uh, simply because, like you said earlier, we don't have a lot of U-2s. And when you're home, you have, you have to maintain currencies uh, like any pilot does and instrument approaches, landings. Um, and it's easier just to do it in a T-38 because it's a trainer aircraft. Right. Uh, you get qualified in that, and then you transition over to the U-2 uh, and then spend the next however many months it takes to get through the U-2 training. Basic qual, just learning how to fly, you know, the stick and rotor skills. Uh, and then you learn the mission part of it, uh, impl- implementing it, um, and flying high and flying in the spacesuit, and that mm-hmm. so the full process, it's not quite a year. I mean, it's September, I think it's September. It's September, um, so just shy of a year. And the first time you, or first few several times you go on a U two, it's a double uh, two person plane. Yep. Yeah. So the, um, I want to say there's 14 flights in the basic qualification phase, and I want to say 13 of them are in a two seater. And we, I'm not sure exactly how many two-seaters we have, uh, but we only have a small amount of two-seaters for the training a- aspect of it. And then when you get, when you, when you finish the basic qualification, you move on to the single seat um, and fly that f- for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a pilot, but I have read that uh, the U-2's unique in several ways. For the um, the uh, speed with which it reaches, I don't know, halfway of its, al- half of its altitude is almost straight up, right? Yeah. So that's, there, there are, I mean, everything about the U2 is unique. Uh, and the, the climb rate is unlike anything uh, I've ever seen in any other airplane. It's, you basically take off and you, you, if you're light and, uh, not carrying a heavy fuel load and a bunch of equipment, you can point it 45 degrees nose up and it, uh, sit, you can sit there 45 degrees nose up, which is not like any other aircraft that mm-hmm. I've flown. Um, but as you climb your deck angle, your nose ends up dropping a little bit. So it's not, it's aggressive. You can get to 10,000 feet in probably a minute, which is, it's like a rocket ship. Um, but it levels and doesn't level off because you're consistently climbing the entire time, but it's, it gets less aggressive the higher you go. And then the landing is uh, different than other planes too. Is it true that you're two feet, you stall two feet off the ground to land the plane? Yeah. So, yeah, they initially they they try and train you to that, um, because you're flying a light lightweight trainer version of it, the, the mm. two seater, uh, and they want you to know. Basically, it's it's a bicycle landing gear aircraft. What that means is there's when you take off. Let me back up. And this will probably help explain it. Um, when you take off, you have your your main gear, which is just just behind the, where the pilot sits on the ground. Then you have your tailwheel, uh, which is all the way back uh, in the plane on the fuselage. And then you have what we call pogos on the wings. Um, those are designed, as soon as you take off, to fall away. Um, they're designed that way. Everything in the U-2 is about weight um, and getting rid of as much weight as you can. So taking off, 
dropping those uh, pogos, those the landing gear under the wings, that reduces the weight. I'm not sure exactly how much, but significantly, and lets us get higher. Uh, so everything in the U2 is weight, less weight, the higher you go. Um, so coming in for a landing, uh, you have to land on two landing gear, bicycle landing gear, uh, which, um, unlike anything I've ever done before, and it's, they want you to stall it essentially two feet above the runway. So uh, you're, you're dissipating all the, the energy, the flying airspeed of the aircraft. Uh, because it's got such a big wingspan, if you have any flying airspeed left, um, any slight movement of the stick, you can bounce back up. It's um, so they want want to reduce as much energy as possible before you you touch down. They also want you to touch down with your tailwheel first. Uh, and the best way to do that is uh, basically stalling it two feet above the runway. <laughs> it must have taken a long time to fig for the first pilots to figure out how to make that all work. Huh? Oh yeah. So if you if you've if you're bored sometime, read Skunk Works. Uh, they talk about it. it's it's a great book. Um, it, it covers. Skunk Works, uh, it's the secret design uh, facility back in the back in the, it's still around. It's still still around, but it ba- basically um, covers the U2 up through the SR71 through Stealth, uh, all the great technological advancements that the Skunk Works has come up with. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they were all de- uh, developed there. It was in California, right, or El- uh, Nevada? No, yeah, it's in California. Yeah. So. Can you describe what it's like to fly at 70,000 feet above the earth? That's as high as you go, right? Uh, so yeah, about 70,000 feet. Um, it's, it's challenging because you're wearing a spacesuit. Uh, and the spacesuit really adds a, a level of complexity that uh, it makes you stupid, basically. <laughs> it, it takes some, some IQ points away. Uh, essentially, you don't have the dexterity you, you do with normal gloves. Or, or with with no gloves, you're wearing spacesuit gloves. Um, you're very limited. Your field of view is very limited because you're you're wearing a, a helmet, uh, a space helmet. That if you, I try to use my hands, but you can't do that in the podcast. But if you look down, you can't see. There's a there's a, a rim part of the helmet, so it's really hard to look around the cockpit. It's hard to get to things. So um, it adds a level of complexity that 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 can be challenging, especially if something goes wrong. Um, but the view is great. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, picture looking up uh, and seeing a airliner. Now, picture looking down and seeing that same distance between you and an airliner. You're basically twice the the height of an airliner. So you're above all the weather. You can see the tops of thunderstorms, which is really cool. Um, it gives you an, an interesting perspective, I think. And is it black above you then? Um, it, it's definitely darker. Hmm. Um, it's definitely darker. It's not black. You're you're still in the atmosphere, so you still get the right. uh, the light scattering from the air and all that. You're just at the top range of the atmosphere, though, where you can control an airplane, right? Uh, e- uh we're close to it. The, the SR-71 flew much higher. Oh, um, we're we're limited by um, the fact that it's not a supersonic aircraft, and this is this is probably going in. Too much depth. Not, I can talk about it. It's not. Uh, it's just as far as the technical part of it, it. We call it the coffin corner. So, it's not a, a supersonic aircraft in that it can't go faster than the speed of sound. It's mm-hmm. it's Mach limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mach is the speed of sound. Um, and as you climb higher, the air gets thinner. Uh, Mach is a, a function of different things. One of them is is the air density. Um, as you climb higher, Mach 
comes down. It basically mm-hmm. um, comes down to your uh, our stall speed. Our stall speed stays the same no matter what. So stall speed is the speed at which the aircraft stalls, loses lift, uh, and and you can't control it anymore. Um, that's the same indicated airspeed no matter where you are, basically. I mean, it depends. There's there's other things in there, and if pilots are listening, I'm sure that they'd pipe up. But there, there are other things that would change the stall speed, you know, if you're banking, you're g up, that kind of stuff. But straight-level flight, uh, the speed at which the aircraft stalls is always going to be the same, um, meaning the amount of air molecules going over the, the wing have to be the same, and if you reduce that, uh, uh, the aircraft stalls to at, at a certain point. So that always stays the same. So, if, for example, if, if the stall speed... And this isn't exact, but if, if the stall speed of an aircraft is 100 knots, that it's going to be 100 knots all the way up, no matter where you are. Um, but Mach uh, gets slower as you go up. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's a point in there where your Mach speed, and we, we don't ever reach it, but there's a point in there where your Mach speed uh, reaches your stall speed. So you, you essentially could be stalled. And in Skunk Works, I think they talk about it. It's either Skunk Works or Operation Overflight, which is another great book. Um, they talk about the coffin corner and the original U-2 pilots would have one, or even the test pilot, I think, would have one wing stalled and the other wing would be breaking the sound barrier. So <laughs> so that's that's why it's limited. The SR-71 wasn't limited in the same way. They, it was a, a phenomenal aircraft and it's, it's a shame that it's gone, but um, that thing could fly three and a half times the speed of sound. It was incredible. So it, it could fly much higher because it didn't have to worry about uh, breaking the sound barrier, obviously, did it. Right. So um, it's <clears throat> safer in safer from uh, any um, anybody who doesn't want you to be there to be up higher, right? Yes. So. Uh, especially well, back in the day, like in the in the fifties and sixties, fifties when it was designed, sixties when it was implemented in Gary Powers. Um, mm-hmm. Back then, they didn't have anything that could reach up and touch us. Now, almost everybody does. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's still safer uh, as far as the the little things on the ground, um, you know, shoulder-mounted rocket, that kind of thing. Um, but there, every advanced country has something that can can reach up and touch us. Right. Gary Powers was a first was a U two pilot who was shot down in 1960 when he was flying over the Soviet Union. Yep. And I think that might have been there wasn't a lot of knowledge, general knowledge about the U two before that. I don't think either. It's no, that a secret was program. It was it, it was a what they call a black program. Hmm. Uh, it, it and Gary Powers. If you ever watch, and it's a great book as well. Bridge of Spies um, hmm. talks about it. Talks about the program and Operation Overflight was written by Gary Powers yeah. uh, in the 70s. I think in the 70s. Um, both great books, so I'm giving giving them a plug. But um, yeah, so it, it originally was a CIA program um, before the Air Force kind of was like, you, you can't have an Air Force. The CIA, you're not supposed to have an Air Force. Um, but yeah, so they they take the Air Force pilots, Gary Powers is one of them, the most famous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and take them, separate them from the Air Force, put them in, in the CIA, uh, and train them to fly the U-2, and they do different missions right. uh, a lot it was it was basically developed to look behind the iron curtain uh, mm-hmm. back in the day when we didn't have satellites and right. all that um so you are um i'm sure you don't use this term in the military but you're a spy you're flying a spy plane that doesn't it's not always on spy missions i know but um uh there are people who don't want you to be doing that the people you're looking at sometimes so 
is it still an era where uh, there'll be people on the ground taking shots at you when you're flying up there? Um, yeah, we don't like the word spy plane. Uh, it's a reconnaissance plane. Mm -hmm. It's just an intelligence gathering platform. Um, but no, that, that doesn't generally happen. Um, I mean, it, the potential is always there, so we always train to it. Uh, but if somebody took a shot at us nowadays, uh, it would be it, it would be an act of war. Hmm. So that would have cascading effects uh, throughout. Right. Plus, you don't use, as far as I know, the U two doesn't go into places that um, it wouldn't overfly Russia or China or someplace like that. It would overfly, as we said before, uh, the Middle East, where we're engaged in. Uh, things ongoing right i mean we i don't know if this is politically correct or not but we essentially own the airspace in the middle east mm -hmm. where we operate so it's 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 much less of a threat there mm -hmm. and you can i think this is not classified you can <laughs> see things that uh you don't have to be overflying a, a landmass to be able to see down in it right <laughs> <laughs> and um so you're not going to get, most likely, you aren't going to get shot down. What are the other kinds of normal dangers of flying a plane like, plane like this, dangers that other, um, some other pilots wouldn't face in the Air Force? So our, our biggest threats don't, I mean, there are threats from uh, where we operate in the countries that we operate near um, that don't like us, uh, obviously, but that's not really, we have to know how to deal with it, um, and we have tactics to deal with it. But the real threat comes from, just flying the plane itself it's it's it was a plane designed in the 50s uh built in the 60s but the ones we fly were all built in the 80s so it's mm -hmm. it's a modernized aircraft it, it really is um some of the avionics are are kind of outdated uh but it's it's got a lot of pretty solid avionics um but you're operating in in near the edge of space uh so it's there the highest threat i think is anything that that goes wrong with the aircraft and you lose pressurization um, it's just being a human being, the, the whole needing to breathe, needing, you know, uh, needing to live. Um, that is, it's, it's probably the highest threat. Mm -hmm. Um, something goes wrong with the aircraft. It takes 45 minutes to get down. Mm. It's not like any other aircraft. It's, it wants to fly because the wings are, are so big. Um, and it, there's not a lot of drag on it, uh, drag slowing down, descending kind of thing. Um, so when we want to descend, we throw our gear down, put our speed brakes out, that, that kind of, uh, adds drag in, in the slipstream, but it still takes 45 minutes plus to get down from 70,000 feet. It takes a long time. So if you have anything that goes wrong in the aircraft um, and you lose pressurization or, you know, you have an engine failure, uh, engine failure is a big deal, but not a huge deal because you have, we operate so high and it takes so long to get down. You have a lot of time to think, where should I put this? Um, but that's still a potential uh, a threat. Uh, I think at that altitude, probably in my mind, at least, the biggest threat is, is losing pressurization or something going wrong with the life support system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 45 minutes is too long to... Oh, yeah. You can't live through that. Right. Even, mean, even ejecting from that altitude, if, you, if something goes wrong from... You eject and your emergency action system that's part of this, the system, the ejection system, doesn't work, you still have, uh, I want to say, four or five minutes of free fall before your parachute opens, and mm -hmm. you're, you're in a sealed suit so if you can't breathe i mean that's right. you can't hold your breath for four or five minutes mm -mm. have you ever had to eject from some point no yeah you don't want to <laughs> <laughs> as i understand from what i've read it's not a, a fun thing no I, I i do like skydiving but that's i uh ejecting is the last thing you want to do yeah because um, you're kind of blowing up you're 
putting a bomb beneath you to blow yourself out of the right. Plane, it's right? it's inherently dangerous, but it's 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 basically the last. If everything's gone wrong to the point where there's nothing you can do to recover from whatever situation you're in, that's that's what ejection's for. It's not yeah. Right. So. Hmm. And so obviously you're at peace with that. You're willing to. Um, you know, you're putting your life on the line every time you go up, really, right? Yeah, but it's, it's fun. Not, I mean, it's fun, and right. the, it pays well, and it's it's a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. I work with great people, so it's it's worth it. Hmm. And so we talked about Gary Powers in in that era, which was uh, 50s, early 60s. Gary Powers, anyway, he had a um, some kind of little suicide device on him. So if he supposedly if he got caught, he could kill himself and keep secrets from being whatever so do they equip you with a uh... no that's so that's that goes back to the era when it was owned by the cia hmm. um and that so that's an interesting story too if you read uh, operation overflight or um bridge of spies we think nowadays like you uh pop culture says hey if you get shot down he was supposed to have taken this cyanide pill and kill himself um if you read the book uh or even watch the movie um i think they even emphasize it a little bit more in the movie than they do in in the books, um, but it was kind of an afterthought. It's like he, he brought it up. Um, hey, if I get shot down or if I, if I end up going down behind the Iron Curtain, what do I do? Don't worry, you're never going to get shot down. You're, it's not going to happen. But if you do here, you, you can take this pill or not. It's, it's basically up to you. Um, it was really kind of an afterthought, and they didn't really go into the survival and evasion uh, aspect of it um, too thoroughly for him, which is a, a disservice, I think. Sure. Um, nowadays, we're not a spy plane. We're owned by the Air Force. Uh, so we, we're not given any suicide pills or anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Gary Powers, they thought if he uh, was, happened to be shot down or crashed, that he'd be dead. You couldn't survive it. Right. That, that was a thought. If, if, you, if, he, if you end up getting shot down, the plane would just disintegrate, um, and there wouldn't be anything left. Mm-hmm. So. Which probably isn't a bad theory, but it just didn't work with him. Right. So uh, when you were a teenager, it's not like you could look back at what you at 15 or 16 and say, hey, that guy was destined to be an Air Force pilot. Oh, no. No, <laughs> no, I was a hooligan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, it was a fun time, but at the same time, I, I, I was a lost kid. Uh, I didn't get into too much trouble, but I, enough where I ended up dropping out of high school and hung out with... Um, yeah, so it wasn't. There was no. There's no linear path from then to where I am now, for sure. That's kind of what I like. I, I think the Air Force takes in, or the military takes in people who are a little lost sometimes. But a place like Westcon's a good place for people who are. Uh, you were a little more focused when you came here, but who are um, not on a linear path, right? And they right. kind of figure it out here. Right. I loved Westcon. Westcon was uh, three of the best years. Uh, I've had as far as learning experience and, and growing as a, as a person, like it, it was a great experience mm. yeah, for sure. And you were a little bit older, right? You were in your twenties, yeah. early twenties. Yep. I was, I want to say I was 24. I think mm. when I started, I think. And you already had your, uh, associate degree, but you probably were in some classes with, you were in a lot of classes with students who were 18, 19 or 20. How was that go? Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I, so I got my associate's degree, but it wasn't really, I didn't get it from sitting in a class. It was um, because I was intelligence, uh, my, my technical training uh, for, for intelligence was seven months. Um, 
and it's accredited. Most everything that the Air Force does for technical aspect of it is accredited through, they have the Community College of the Air Force. Um, I was able to, all shy of about seven credits, I think, uh, once I graduated my technical training, um, I just clepped a, a few classes to actually get my um, associate's degree. Clep, to test for him, yeah. Right, test, mm -hmm. test for him. Um, so that's, that's that aspect of it. When I when I got to WestCon, uh, yeah, so the, the basic classes, like the 101s, like bio, bio 101, chemistry 101, that, that kind of thing, you're in the big classes, so it's it's not everybody is going to stay in science. So you're in the classes with 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, people that are, you know, fresh out of high school. Um, but the people that I ended up f uh, finding here um, and I'm still friends with, still very good friends with, um, it was a small clique of us that we kind of bonded initially um, and went through all the same classes together from freshman year through senior year. Um, and they were all older. They were all uh, probably younger than me, but not 18, 19. They were all maybe 20, 21. Yeah, that so. must have been great. That's the way you're really supposed to do it as a cohort. It yeah. makes it easier. Oh, it was awesome. Better, yeah. yeah. And um, obviously you're uh, well-read. You like to learn, it sounds like. You're a lifelong learner. And um, you've been an instructor. You're good at explaining things. So Sometimes. Like it depends that. on the subject, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do now? You're going to be a YouTube pilot for some time, but do you plan to stay then uh, as a pilot in the YouTube program? Or what else do you do then? So... I have two and a half years till I retire, till I can retire um, at my 20. So I've been in 20 years, but we talked about this earlier. Uh, I've been in 20 years, but I had a three-year break in service for college, so I have to make up that uh, on the back end. So I'll retire at 23 years-ish, um, and that'll be in 2020. But right now, now that I've completed the program, and I can, I still have to continue learning. Like there's, there's, like I said, there's a tremendous mm. amount of things I don't know, um, and I still have to learn and experience. Uh, but it also frees me up a little bit to focus on other things as well. And I've been teaching myself computer programming, uh, which I think is, is super neat. And it, it correlates really well with uh, what we do in the plane. So we've, we've started flying with iPads, uh, portable GPS units. There's, there's applications out there for iPads um, that pilots use. And it's phenomenal as far as the amount of situational awareness you get from this thing. Um, but I also, I've discovered... Uh, I like computer programming, so I'm trying to write. I'm I'm learning how to write applications for very specific to what we do. Um, so I'll probably end up retiring two and a half years. The goal is to get an air, airline job, uh, just for all the benefits, and it's an easy job mm -hmm. um, at this point. And then maybe open a uh, software development company or something. Right, and uh, uh, the uh, advances that you can bring to the program too for the U two is uh, probably significant. I would imagine too. Yeah, it's 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 fun. Like yeah. it's my, I'm in a great place with the, as far as the people I work with and my leadership. They they all see it's it's a very dynamic environment, um, and they see the the benefit of having um, new things, trying new things to see if you know it's the Air Force. A lot of times does does things just because that's the way it's always been done. Um, in this community, it's, it's, there's, of course there's that, but there's also a lot of, there's a big portion of it that is always looking for a new, newer, better way to do something. Um, and I feel like this is potentially a newer, better way to do some, some of the stuff we do. Mm -hmm. So, well, I wonder if there'll ever be another Westcon may, uh, alum who's a, a YouTube pilot or a, a pilot of some kind of program like you've done. 
I would love it. Yeah. yeah. If anybody's interested, I would love to talk to him about it. All right. For now, you're unique. You're the only one, <laughs> as far as we know. Well, so it's like you said earlier, there's um, once you solo, uh, there's you get your solo number. My, my solo number is 1011. Uh, my, my classmate was 1012. So in the, in the course of uh, since 1955 or 58, I think, um, till now, there, I'm the 1011th dude that's ever soloed the plane. So it's, it is a small community. It's a, it's a brotherhood. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, but if anybody at Westcon is interested in being a air force pilot, um, I taught UP undergraduate pilot training for three years and I taught, I, I'm in a unique position to explain the process to them right. uh, as far as going from college student all the way to getting your wings. Um, so feel free to reach out. Good. All right. If anybody's out there listening and you want to uh, talk to Major Matt Elmore, call us here at uh, WCSU 411 and we'll connect you up. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Now, Barbara Viegas and I will talk about upcoming events. So we're here with Barbara Viegas and we're going to talk about the week's events coming up for students and community and everything. What's going on, Barbara? Um, well, Fall Bash is coming up next week, um, but I wanted to start off with this week, which is some of the events that are going on regarding like sports and everything. So Tuesday, October 31st, um, the volleyball team is playing at Plymouth State at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, November 1st, the men's soccer um, is playing Keene State. It's the semifinals at 6 p.m. On Thursday, November 2nd, women's soccer is um, playing to be determined. <laughs> um, and then volleyball is playing the ELEC semifinals. Wow. Um, and then Saturday, November 4th, football at Framingham State at 12 p.m. And then volleyball, women's soccer, and men's soccer all have ELEC finals that is still to be determined. That's exciting. Yeah, so a They're all doing this great. Week. Yeah. yeah. They might win their um, league championships. Yeah, I, hopefully. I, the, I think the women may still be undefeated, right? I'm not sure, but hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and the men are, the bat football team is uh, seven and one. And uh, there's talk that they may even qualify for a bowl game somewhere. We'll find that out on November 12th. Wow. So we'll let everybody know about that, right? It'll be a home game too, I think. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, um, otherwise, uh, Fall Bash is really the big events that we're going to have um, starting on Monday, uh, the 6th. What so, is the Fall Bash? So Fall Bash is basically kind of like a West Fest week, but it's um, during, obviously, November. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just like to get everyone excited and everything. It's pretty much almost, I'm pretty sure everyone's done with midterms at this point. Um, yep. So it's just like an exciting week full of events. Um, so we're trying to collaborate a lot of different um, groups on campus and everything, even like clubs even could participate and make events. But right now it's pretty much PAC, REC, SGA, um, um, IRHA. And I think I said rec, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so on Monday, there's Mr. and Mrs. Westcon that I spoke about last time. Mm -hmm. It's at 8 p.m. at Ives Concert Hall. Again, there's a $150 prize. I was even thinking about entering. Hey, not sure yet. You but, should, and you have all your friends on SGA over yeah. for you, right? <laughs> Ryan Hawley and I were talking about it. He's the vice president of internal affairs. We we're like, mm. hmm, maybe we should <laughs> run. <laughs> but I think it'd be rigged. Because we would rig it for you, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> because I don't know if we'd win or not because we both, there's a SG member on the panel. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, then you'd have to win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'd have to like pay him out. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So Tuesday at 11 a.m. there's the Garden Globe novelty in the student center lobby. What's that? Um, it's like, I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure it's like those globes that you put in um, plants, like the ones that like water for yeah, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not positive though. And what's it called? The um, Garden Globe Novelty. Oh, Novelty. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can make your own or something. Or yeah, water your own plant. <laughs> there you go. I need one of those. I have plants in my office. Mm. Um, and then Tuesday again at 8 p.m. there's Game of Throws at O'Neill Center, which is... <laughs> dodgeball (laughs) but pretty exciting game Uh of throws uh wednesday at 11 a.m there's inflatables on the fairfield hall lawn i'm almost positive um that it's um the um fraternities and sororities Mm. that are putting it on together i think it's like i don't know who it is but i know that they're collaborating for that event so they all get along and everything, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the Mr. and Mrs. Westcon is hosted by Sigma Chi and Sigma Delta Tau. So like I know that one fraternity, one sorority are like pairing up for events this year. It's pretty used cool. To, didn't they used to call a king and queen? Um, or is that something different? I feel, I don't know. I know that in high school that's what it's called. Yeah. But Mr. and Mrs. Westcon, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do they show up at a football game or not? Um, I'd imagine so. But I'm They not. should anyway. They definitely should so yeah. they can be recognized. Right. Instead of... But yeah, um, that's the inflatables. Mm-hmm. And on that same day, we're having SGA day, which is going to be really exciting. Um, it starts at 12, so an hour after the inflatables start. And it's inside the student center lobby. Um, we're This is like what me and my committee are putting together. It's actually really awesome. Um, we're going to have like live music inside the student center, like student artists mm-hmm. and stuff, kind of like what we did for Clubs Carnival this year. Um, it's going to be from 12 to 4, and we're going to have, like, sip and paint, which like, you sip apple cider, uh, <laughs> sparkling cider. We got, like, plastic champagne glasses and everything, and you paint um, canvases that we got. We also are getting pumpkins to paint, um, and, yeah, I think that's it, but it's, like, really... Oh, and there's also a photo booth, but cool. it's just, like, a cool, exciting little thing to do inside. So you expect hundreds to show up? Yeah, I'm hoping so. I bought, like, almost 300 champagne glasses <laughs> <laughs> yesterday. It was really funny. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping for a good turnout and we're going to be like promoting each other's events since there's one at 11 and one at 12. Just going to tell them, oh, there's, you know, there's inflatables outside on the Fairfield lawn, that kind of thing. Good. Um, to get everyone excited about it. Um, Thursday at 7 p.m. there's a Mohegan Sun trip. At 10 p.m. there's Midnight Madness at the Berkshire Gym. I know that this uh, Midnight Madness um, as of right now, is still on the Thursday, but it might be moving. So just keep a heads up on that because, like, okay. just in case it does, uh, we'll be, like, changing the flyers and everything because I know that they wanted it to be on West Side instead of Midtown. So mm. so you're going to change it to? They might change a date, um, oh. I think, probably the following week or something like that. Oh, okay. But we're not sure yet. Right now, it's still on Thursday. Uh, on Friday, there's 6 p.m. bingo in the West Side Ballroom, which is really cool because SGA is kind of like, is, is co-sponsoring. So PAC put in $1,000 and SGA put in $1,000. And wow. so there's $2,000 in prizes, That's great. which is really great. I know that last Wednesday at our um, e-board meeting, I saw like the iPhone 7 or like the iPhone 8 actually, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure uh, is gonna be there, so. As a prize? As a prize, yeah. Wow. Um, so I can't imagine the other things that we're getting, but <laughs> that's a big one. Um, and then at 10 p.m., there's Rack After Dark Bowling at the Brookfield Lanes, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. 
And then Saturday, finally, at 11 a.m., there's Fall Bash, which is basically like inflatables outside, um, like games, all that kind of thing. That's on the West Side practice field. And I know um, Leah Harger is working really hard on that. Um, she is part of uh, the Fall Bash committee, uh, along with like other individuals from PAC and REC and everything. And she, she and obviously other people as well. But um, I know that um, our president, Carlos, has talked a lot about how she's like really working hard on it and it's becoming really cool. So that should be really exciting. And then finally, um, at 8 p.m., uh, doors open at 7, though. There's the Tiesto concert at the uh-huh. Inale Center. Um, and we also just opened, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I know it's official now, that we opened um, s- s- sales to all 17 CSU universities. Mm. So um, everyone gets student price at $23 and then outside guests at 43 So it's pretty exciting. Yesterday I had my senators, like uh, some senators, like uh, cold calling <laughs> like all of the 17 colleges to get them to post on social media and everything. I know that I think Central already posted on theirs. Um, I think Nagatech just left me a voicemail. I have to go back and look at it. But they're going to be hopefully students from other um, colleges as well. So it should be really exciting. It'll be sold out then for sure. Yeah, we're hoping so. I know that there's at least, there's going to be at least like 1,000, 1,300 there, mm-hmm. 1,400 mm-hmm. as of right now, I think, um, because of the promoter and outside people coming. So That's good. You'll definitely sell that out. And what about, um, it doesn't look that great for our interview, our podcast with Tiesto, it sounds oh, like. I don't know. He's a busy man. It's, mm. it's pretty rough right now. Um, I still trying to stay positive. Hopefully something will turn around, but um, still no news yet about any. Is John Murphy letting us down? Is that what the problem is? <laughs> no, John Murphy's working so hard for it. Mm. I keep bothering him about it. So hopefully, like, you know, it'll get somewhere. Yeah, good. Maybe, but keep bothering him yet. keep bothering yeah him. definitely keep. you know i wanted to mention there's the open house on november 5th for uh, high school students and their families to come and check out the university we do this every year it starts at 9 8 9 30 a.m and it's over on the west side but there'll be tours all on both side both campuses that day and uh, you can go to our website and check that out There's also a really big lecture on November 7th about immigration, which, of course, everybody's interested in. And uh, we have somebody, we have the director of of Immigration Law and Policy Research at the Economic Policy Institute is coming. His name's Daniel Costa in Ives Concert Hall. So we want to uh, fill the place there. You need to be there, okay? Okay. I had a couple of other questions for you. On November 3rd, there's going to be a UFO party and in Penny Hall, and they say that they're um, going to feature candy making. They put candy with a K and uh, put it in quotes, and I don't really know what that is, but it sounds suspicious. And there's glow-in-the-dark paint station, which also sounds a little um, iffy to me. And then the next day, there's a smooth and saxy concert. So I'm asking you, (laughs) as uh, Vice President of Student Relations, what's going on here? It sounds like there may be relations going on. (laughs) Um, well, I, I don't know what candy making is. That sound- oh, wait. No, I do know, I think. So candy with a K usually is like bracelets and stuff yeah. that you make for like concerts and that kind of thing. I, I can't, I'm totally taking a wild guess, so it might be wrong. But um, it's like safe, beads though. and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pretty sure that's... And to pair with the glow-in-the-dark paint, I think is perfect. Um, is that on... What day did you say it was? November 3rd. Okay. Um, well, usually, like, that's what you wear to, like, a concert. Like, they put glow-in-the-dark paint all over themselves, uh, and, like, they wear candy and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it is, because that sounds awesome. 
Um, and then what was the other one? The Smooth and Saxy concert. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sure it's saxophone, like jazzy music. Yeah. Smooth and saxy. That's Maybe that's really what funny. it is. You'll investigate and let us know next week? Yes, definitely. I'll investigate. Also, you're wearing a Tiesto concert. Uh, are, am I and the producers going to get a t-shirt, Tiesto t-shirts? <laughs> yeah, just give me your sizes. We have, uh, so yeah, we ordered uh, enough for the SGA, uh, the Senate, because um, they're working really hard on it. So we figured they could wear it and publicize it. And then we also got, I think, 25 extra for handouts to students and that kind of thing for them to publicize as well. So I'm sure you could grab one perfect, if you wear perfect. often enough. <laughs> oh, we'll wear it all the time. And just one more thing that I forgot. Um, the JLA Society brought into um, SGA this excellent opportunity that um, Professor Jordan, um, Casey Jordan, mm -hmm. um, brought into us. It's southwest of Salem. It's happening no Wednesday, November 1st from 5.30 to 8 p.m. in the Westside Ballroom. It's free and open to students. And it's a live panel and a screening of the documentary Southwest of Salem. So it's going to be a panel discussion with two featured guests from the film, which was, it's basically a story about the San Antonio Four who were falsely accused and imprisoned for 15 years. Um, and then now they have like this huge documentary, they're touring and they're going to be at Harvard, I think the day after on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty great that we got the opportunity to like sneak them in before they go into Harvard. Um, or maybe it's Yale. I think it's Yale actually, not Harvard. Either one. Either one. They're both great. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's going to be a really excellent opportunity. I know that a lot of classrooms are taking their students. Like, mm -hmm. um, I know my, my professor for legal studies is postponing class, um, like just canceling it so that we could go and like look at the panel and everything. Cause it's going to be a really amazing opportunity. Um, yeah. so that one is really important that we go to, especially for your JLA major. Like when are you going to get the opportunity to speak to people that were falsely accused for 15 years and right. all of their troubles and everything that they went mm -hmm. through. So learn about that part of the system. Yeah. It's really amazing. So, so there's a ton of stuff going on at Westcon yes, next week as always. Yeah. All <laughs> exciting stuff. So uh, thanks for uh, letting us know about all that. And we'll be back next week, right? Awesome. Yep. Thank thanks, you, Thanks, Barbara. <laughs> so I want to thank our producers, Scott Volpe and Pete Puccio, who do all the behind-the-scenes work to make this podcast available to the world, maybe even at 70,000 feet if you have the right equipment. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe at WCSU Media on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher so you can stay up to date with all editions of WCSU 411. Leave a comment or a review and tell your friends to tune in to learn more about Western Connecticut State University and the interesting conversations like the one we had today with Air Force Major Matthew Elmore.